If you've got it, take your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Very simple passage, Luke chapter 15. And uh, this morning, I don't know if this is really a message or not as much as it's just a word from the heart. And I believe I have a message from God's heart this morning. And we want to talk today about uh, keeping first things first, putting first things first and keeping them where they're supposed to be. I believe the Bible is a very simple book. I believe the messages are very simple. I believe Jesus took the profound truths of eternity and made them so simple a child can understand them. If the Spirit of God will help us read the Bible and see things, you'll just see the simplest truth stand out. And I, want the, I just want this simple message to come through today from Luke chapter 15. I love this passage, one of my favorite in all the world, because this is where Jesus just distills life down to just the, anybody can understand it. Luke chapter 15, the Bible said this, all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him. The first time I ever read that, I was just, I just sat and said, what is this right here? In our culture today, great sinners run from preachers. You know, they, they don't want to be around them. But I was surprised how that the most sinful people in society were just magnetized to be around God. They, they just tried to get near him. Strange. And then the Bible said, and the ministers complained saying, this man enjoys sinners and eats with them. Now that didn't surprise me there. Anytime you get ministers, you're going to get some complaining. And the Bible said they were surprised at how God enjoyed sinful people and enjoyed eating with them. So obviously there's something off guard. So Jesus tells what's called a parable. Listen, the Bible said this, I will speak to them in parables. Dear ones, our God speaks through parables. And when he wants to say something to you, he gives you a parable and you've got to find the meaning inside that parable. Sometimes it's very obvious. And then other times you have to work to see what he's saying. But this is a simple parable where Jesus is saying, since you don't understand why I enjoy people so much and I really enjoy being around people, I'm going to give you a parable to help you understand why I like people so much. And here's the little parable that he gave. What man, if he had a hundred sheep and lost one, would not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go search for the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. It's our word excited, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying with them, rejoice with me. I found my sheep, which was lost. All right, so, so you've got Jesus really enjoying people. God is really just enjoying being around people. The minister don't understand that. And he said, let me help you understand why I like to be around people. If a man had all these sheep and lost one, he would, he would really search for him until he found him. And when he found him, he'd be so excited about having him back. And he would even call people and say, I, I'm excited. I want you to be excited because I got back that which I lost. And in that little parable of the, of the shepherd who lost his sheep, the obvious message is God is searching for relationship. We talk about people searching for God. It was God is searching for you. One of the great revelations of the Bible is in Romans chapter 3 that says this, there is no one who seeks after God, no, not one. You say, well, Brother Brian, I seek after him. No, you didn't. Not until he caused you to seek after him. We don't look for him until he comes looking for us. And the Bible says that God is searching for relationship with people. 
And that's why ministers didn't understand why God just enjoyed being around people so much. Here's the message. God enjoys people. He wants to be around people. One of the great questions that I've always pondered in the Bible is Psalm 100 that says this, know this, it is the Lord who created us and not we ourselves. And I put, I wrote in my Bible, why? Well, he didn't create me to work for him. He didn't create me because he, he created me for one reason, because he wanted to be a father to me. And, and until we get back to the foundational truth that God created people to be in relationship with him and that he's looking for relationship with people. That's why the planet was created. That's, that's the foundational truth of why we're here. How easy is it to miss uh, this simple truth in everything we do? I could go to scripture and build a case through scripture that God simply created people to be in because he wants relationship with them. But you could go all the way back to Genesis. God created man, put him in a garden. Uh, man sinned in chapter three of Genesis. They heard the voice of God in the garden. They ran from him, hid from him. We're still doing that. And God walked in the garden. What did he say? Where are you? And there you see God searching for people because he used to walk with them in the cool of the day. You could follow it all through the Bible. Abraham was the man that drew close to him and Abraham was called the what? The friend of God. I never thought about being like friends with God. That's the whole that's the reason you were created. David, the man after God's own heart. Jesus came and walked on this earth to, and he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what did Jesus do? He spent every day pursuing people pursuing people for relationship, to serve them, to help them, whatnot. I love 1 Corinthians 1, 9 that says this, God is faithful by whom you were called into a relationship with his dear son. There's the simple truth. 2 Corinthians 6, 18 says this, I will be a father to you. You will be sons and daughters to me. That's a relationship. That's not a job. Uh, you could go on through the scripture, 1 John 1, verses 3 and 4. What we've experienced with God, we tell to you so that you can have a relationship with God and these things be right that your joy might be full. The Bible was written so you could come to a true relationship with God. And then, of course, the book of Revelation reveals what? One of these days, we're going to go right back to where we started in the garden that we'll be able to, we will see him face to face and we will dwell with him and he will be among us. And so the whole Bible, the message of the Bible is God is pursuing people for relationship. Now, what does history teach us? If the Bible teaches us that, what does history teach us? What does world history teach us? That we have substituted so many things for relationship and we've let some good things steal the relationship, the heart relationship. And if the Bible teaches me one thing that I saw in the four gospels especially, that religion, which is represented by the Pharisees in the, in the gospels, Religion is always substituting something for relationship and stealing the heart relationship away with God. I think ultimately Satan's goal is to steal the relationship from us and to cost us that great relationship. Let me tell you four things from scripture that I seal that will steal our relationship with God. And of course, these are through scripture. Number one, we try to replace relationship with rules. This is where the Pharisees were masters at this. It was all about the rules. And they, they constantly wanted to know, uh, have you done this wrong? Have you done that wrong? And, and, and the focus was on rules instead of on a relationship. Now, let, let me tell you something. Any place two people are, you have to have rules. 
people have to have rules to be able to get along. Now, my wife and I, we've been married 38 years. I adore her. I enjoy her. We have the best time. But we have rules in our relationship. Every relationship's got to have rules. Well, some of the rules, for instance, I can't date other women. That's one of the rules we have in our relationship. She can't date other men. Uh, another one, I can't just disappear for days at a time and go fishing unless I tell her or ask her or try to ask her or whatever. Um, I can't come home drunk every night. That, see, these are the rules of our relationship. But let, let me tell you something. I never think about that. I do not sit around all day and think, gosh, I can't date other women. That never crosses my mind. The rules never cross my mind. We enjoy a relationship. It's about the relationship, not the rules. When the rules get bigger than the relationship, you've lost what you were created for. Right, this is what religion does. It substitutes rules and you begin to focus on the rules. I can always tell when people are struggling with this to get around them and they'll, they'll straighten up because the preacher's around and, uh, you know, they'll want to focus on, have I been doing right? Well, dear ones, I really don't care whether you've been doing right. Let me tell you something. I, I don't run around on my wife. I really don't. But it's not because it's a rule. It's because I am so in love with her and enjoy her so much. I never think about running around on her. I, I don't worry about the rules that God's laid down. When you're so in love with him and you so enjoy him, you don't have to think about the rules. Now, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of these or not. They're called the Ten Commandments. In America, we've changed it a little bit. It's down to about six suggestions now. But no, the Ten Commandments are still in effect. But you know what they are? You see, I know what they're... No, wait a minute. They are Ten Commandments that protect relationships. They're the Ten Rules you have to have to protect relationships. The first four commandments protect my relationship with God. The next six commandments protect my relationship with people. That's the only reason they were given. They weren't given to squash your life or make life miserable. They were given to protect relationships. For instance, I can't have a good relationship with my neighbors if I keep stealing stuff from their farm. Thou shalt not steal. That, that's not given so I can't. You say, well, that's so you can't have anything. No, it's not. You're dumber than a brick. That's not why that's given. It's given so I can. I shouldn't have said that dumber than a brick. It's given so that you can have relationships. You understand that? Uh, number, number eight, you're not going to have relationships with people if you stab them in the back all the time. If you, if you run people down in the way you talk, it's hard to have relationships with them. Number five was given so I could have a family and enjoy my family. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You can't, if I'm out hoarding around like a junkyard dog in heat, I am not going to have a family. Rules are given to protect relationships. The first four protect mine and God's. The next six protect people. You've got to have rules, but let me tell you something. It's not about the rules. It's about the relationship. I'll give you an example of this. Mark chapter 9. A young man came to Jesus and he said, I've been hearing about this eternal life. What does a person have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus asked this young man, he said to him, do you keep the commandments? Listen to what he said. I have kept every commandment from my youth. And Jesus didn't correct him, so apparently he'd done it. How many of you can say, I've kept every commandment from my youth? I certainly can't, not even close. And listen, he was a good Jewish boy. He went to church every Sunday. So we got a young man who goes to church every Sunday. He keeps every rule. But Jesus said, there, there's still something you had not got yet. And he said, I want you to come walk with me. I want you to come be with me. And he wouldn't do that. The Bible said he went away sad because he would rather make money than walk with God. Isn't that crazy? You've got a young man who kept every rule 
but he didn't want to keep the relationship. You can keep all the rules and go to church every Sunday and never get to know God as a father. Never get to know Jesus as a friend. Listen, let's don't substitute performance by rules for a heartfelt relationship. Number two, not only do we reduce, do reduce this whole thing down to rules, rules replace relationship. Serving God replaces relationship. You say, wait a minute, I thought we were supposed to serve God. I do, you do. But then serving God cannot replace a relationship with God. Now, my wife and I, we serve each other. Yesterday afternoon, she was cooking for us in the community and some folks there. And, and I was mowing the grass, mowing the pasture and all that stuff. And she was, uh, she, she was serving me. She was cooking for me. I was serving her. I was mowing her grass. Well, it's our grass. And uh, listen, my, my wife is so good to me. She cooks for me. She cleans for me. She washes my camouflage boxer shorts. But I promise you, that girl did not marry me to wash my underwear. She married me hoping for a relationship. And I certainly didn't marry her to keep all that place up out there. So we, I married her wanting a relationship. And when you reach the place to where serving somebody supersedes the relationship, you're in trouble. I got a lot of preacher friends who've told me I never pick a Bible up except to get a sermon. Serving God has replaced knowing God. Mr. Barna, who's the premier poster, Christian poster in the nation, I saw recently where he said, broad survey across the nation, uh, the average preacher spends less than five minutes a day in prayer. Serving God has replaced knowing God. This happens in marriage a lot of times. And uh, it, where, where we serve each other. And listen, it's good to serve people. If you, if you love people, you're going to serve them. But serving is not a relationship. I can remember years ago in my little denominational church, we had a big banner, save to serve, save to serve. I was not saved to serve. Richie spoke it this morning. I wasn't saved to serve. I was saved to know God personally. Could you imagine if I asked my wife, do you want to spend the rest of your life washing my underwear? She didn't get married to wash underwear or to serve me or to cook or to clean or do anything else. She got married to be in a love affair. I didn't start following Jesus so I could serve him. I started following Jesus because I fell in love with him and I wanted to know him personally. But sometimes serving God becomes first instead of keeping first things first and keeping a personal relationship with him. Between me and you, he really doesn't need me to serve him. He's got one angel could do more in a few seconds than I could do in five lifetimes. I get to serve him and I enjoy it. But if you lose the relationship in the servant, you're in trouble. So, so we're sort of getting pinched there. And uh, who, who's this in the Bible? You remember, we were reading Luke chapter 15 about the man. There's another parable in there called the parable of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son was a, a, just a, he was, he was bad news. Goes out and raises hell, wastes his father's money on hookers. But he decides that he's, he, it just, his lifestyle breaks him. He comes home to the father. His father loves him, embraces him. They celebrate. They're eating together. We had an elder brother in the field and this elder brother got mad because the father was so good to this younger brother. And the Bible said the father went out and pleaded with him to do what? But he wouldn't come in. I want you to listen to what the elder brother said. All these years I have served you. He was mad. He said he was angry. All these years I have served you. What do you see there? What's Jesus saying right there? You got a guy who spends all his time serving God, but he never goes in the house and talks to God. 
He said, I, I, I can't, he came out and pleaded with him, but he would not come in. Then you can serve God all you want to. You weren't created to serve him. You were created to come in the house and talk to him and to know him personally. And that elder brother is a picture of a man who serves God all the time, but he doesn't know him personally. And I'm going to tell you something else about that too. People that focus on serving God instead of knowing God, they're going to be like that elder brother. They're going to be mad all the time because other people are not doing right. And they're angry because people are messing up. It was the Bible didn't say serve the Lord first. It said, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. It's so easy to serve after that. We don't want to replace the relationship with serving. Number three, boy, here's a killer. When organization replaces relationship. Organization begins to replace relationship. Now, my sweetheart and I, we've been married 38 years. We've got three children. We've got eight all together in our family now. And uh, any, every relationship has to have some organization to it. Well, our relationship grew to the point where I had, a, I had a, an organization. Uh, we had to have a building to meet in. It's called a house. And uh, we, we're running a small, we're really a, a family is a small business. We're running a small business. We have an accounts payable department at our house. I wish we had an accounts receivable department, but we don't have that. We have an accounts payable department. We have things that have to be done. We, you know, we get to farm and all that. And, and we have an organization that surrounds our lives. But how often does the organization kill the relationship? And how many times have I met couples through the years that uh, they started out so in love with each other and enjoyed each other, but something happened. And I warn young couples, before they get married, I warn them, I said, now listen, I know y'all having a great time right now, but let me tell you what's going to happen. Life is going to happen. Kids are going to happen. Baseball practice is going to happen. Jobs are going to happen. Mowing the grass is going to happen. Looking out for aged parents is going to happen and life is going to happen. And it's going to crowd out the relationship that got y'all started. Do not let the organization that this relationship started kill the relationship that started it. There's an old country song that goes, I know you wonder why I always talk about old country songs. That's all I listen to. There's an old country song that goes like this, starts like this. We don't talk much anymore. And it's a song about a couple who had a great relationship, but over the years, they didn't maintain that relationship and it died. Well, dear ones, how many people do I know that started out just in love with God? Let me tell you, let me tell you what we do. I think Satan's behind this. Somebody falls in love with God. They, they just have the greatest relationship. They hear his voice. They walk with him. They talk with him. They enjoy it. They get pretty good at fishing. So boy, if you get good at fishing, you know what they're going to do to you down to church, don't they? They're going to put you in charge of the aquarium when you get good at fishing. And for long, you're going to get so busy cleaning the aquarium, you forgot who called you to start with. And you get so busy. This is not bad stuff. This is good stuff. But it was, don't let the good stuff kill the best stuff. Don't let good... Th I, I really don't think at this age, crack cocaine is going to get me again. I think I'm pretty well done with that. I know I'm not running off with the piano player. He's not my type. That ain't going to happen. It's, it's, not, it's not the bad stuff that destroys relationships. It's the good stuff sometimes. And the organization can rob you of the relationship. And uh, I think that's what happens sometimes with preachers when they pray less than five minutes a day. The, the sad end of their so many lives is with God, we don't talk much anymore. We lost the relationship because we were so busy doing all this other stuff. And uh, it, it, churches do that. It's not about going to church. It's not even about working in the church. It's not about being a part of the church. Don't let going to church steal a personal relationship with the Father who created you. 
and the, really the church is supposed to be a bunch of people that have met Jesus and love him and then everything else flows out of that. But uh, you don't want to go to church all your life and even serve in the church. And as Jesus said one day, I, I never knew you. We never got to know me. We never knew each other. It's about a personal relationship. And then number four, uh, let me throw this one out here. When the formula replaces the relationship. You ever, uh, you ever been in a relationship where somebody was just in relationship with you so they could get something from you? You ever been through that? Uh, especially, in the, I'm seeing this in this modern day right now where people are coming up with all these Christian books and all these formulas where you got all these ways you can get stuff from God. Well, listen, he is a provider and he's told us to ask him for things. And he knows what you need before you ask, the Bible says. But this thing is, we've boiled it down to, if I'll just quote this scripture five times and I'll just believe hard enough and I'll, you can't reduce a relationship down to a formula. It's a relationship. It's a living, breathing thing that you, it's flexible. It's dynamic. It flows. You, you have to walk it out. It's not about pulling all the right strings and saying the right words. And if I don't cuss for a week, maybe I'll answer my prayer. That's not a relationship. That sounds like, I'm not, that, that's Hinduism right there. It's about a relationship. It's not about earning. It's about a living relationship. And you can't let a formula replace a living relationship. It's like, it's, how many times in marriage counseling have I had couples sitting there and a girl's just sitting there crying saying, he, he just don't love me anymore. And the guy says, I bring my paycheck home. I don't run around on her. And he's blind as a, you're missing the whole deal. You're missing the whole deal. It's not about bringing your paycheck home. It's not about going, it's not about checking off the boxes. It's about a heart relationship. And we were created to have a heart relationship with God. And all these things begin to get in the way and substitute. They steal the relationship with us. I'll say it again. Richie said it earlier. You were created by God to have a relationship with him, to enjoy him. Uh, I love the, uh, the whole, take the whole Bible and distill it down to this one simple truth. It's called the Westminster Catechism. People quote it in churches a lot of times. Start the day and it says this. The chief aim of man, the purpose of humanity, is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. We were created to enjoy God and for him to enjoy us. It's just the simplicity of a relationship. And all through the Bible, people in the Bible like Abraham and David, and they just walked with God and, and talked with him. Enoch was a man who walked with God and he was no more. The Bible, I think what happened, they were walking one day and the time got away from them and it got dark. God said, we're closer to my house than yours. Won't you just come home with me? Or, I don't know. But the point is in the Bible, people had a relationship with God they didn't just serve him, keep the rules, go through the motions, run the show. They knew him personally. My blood brother, Paul, whom I love so dearly, he was one of the leaders in a great religious movement. Matter of fact, the Bible, he said, I excelled my peers and there were none more zealous for the faith of my fathers. He was a leader in his religious movement. And I want you to listen to what he said in Philippians 3. He said, when I saw Jesus, I threw all of my religion away and considered it just garbage just so I could know him personally. This man was a leader in his religious movement. He was the head preacher. He was the head teacher. And he said, I realized even though you are very religious, you don't know God personally. And he said, I threw it all away and count it but dung, rubbish, 
that I might know Christ personally and have a personal relationship. So this is the call of God on our lives is to have a personal relationship. Um, now let, me, let me tell you something. A relationship will eventually involve those four things. If I've got a relationship with somebody, I've got to have rules to protect it. I will serve if I'm in love with somebody. We, you know, they're different, and our God is a faith God. I have to believe. But if if those four things replace the first thing, I'm in trouble. Got to keep the main thing, the main thing. And that's why we want a relationship above everything else. What what is the? Uh, all right, let me take a talk about that. What is the heart of relationship? What what is the essence of relationship? I'm going to go back to that old country song. We don't talk much anymore. The heart of relationship is communication. My, the marriage that I enjoy so much today, guess where it started? It started on a Saturday morning when I was in college and this girl walked in and I saw her and I fell in love. I know now it wasn't love. It was just excitement, but it became love. And I, I got excited about her. So you know what I did? I walked over there and I started talking to her. I began to talk to her and she talked back, not much because she wasn't near as in love as I was, but I began to talk to her. You know why we got the relationship we got today? Talking. We communicated with each other. And the reason reason it's still blessed is we still communicate. We laugh with each other. We, We enjoy each other. We chat about stuff that's not important. We chat about important stuff too. The heart of relationship is communication. When you lose the communication, the relationship dies. When you stop talking, relationship dies. And that's why the Bible said, my sheep hear my voice. That's why he said, call on me and I'll answer you. You have to have a living communication. And, and there's the, the passion of our lives is not to go to church and be good. It is to learn to communicate with God. It's, to, it's called fellowship. Learn to have fellowship with God. Now, let me point you to a great place in scripture where this teaches us this. In the book of 1 Samuel, you got a little fellow named Samuel. He was a little boy and he was given to full-time Christian service. His mother gave him to the prophet and he moved into the, actually moved into the church complex and he lived there and he served full-time. And the Bible said in 1 Samuel 3, 1, that Samuel served the Lord full-time. And he's just a little fellow. Eli was the head preacher and he had Well, just what I said this morning happened to Eli. Eli started out loving God passionately, but Eli got so far away from God, he lost the relationship. And so Samuel's just a little fella, young boy. Samuel's laying in the bed one night and the Bible said the Lord came to Samuel and he said to him, Samuel. Well, Samuel, I want you to listen to what the Bible said in verse seven of chapter three, first Samuel. Samuel did not know the word of the Lord and it had not yet been revealed to him. Get it? In the first verse, it said Samuel was in full-time Christian service. Verse 7 said he didn't know how to talk to God. So he served the Lord full-time, but he didn't have a personal relationship with him. I, I know preachers, bless their dear hearts like that, that they're good at serving in the church, but they don't ever just go out in the woods and enjoy God. They don't know his voice. This is backwards. So Samuel's laying in the bed there. He hears the voice of God. He thinks it's the preacher. So he gets up, runs in his bedroom and says, you, you called me. And Eli rolled her, woke up and said, oh, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So he goes back to bed. And the Bible said the Lord came again and said, Samuel. And Samuel gets up, runs in the preacher's room there and said, you called me. He said, I, I didn't call you. 
go back to bed. So he goes back to bed. It happened a third time. He runs in the preacher's room and the Bible said that Eli perceived that God was trying to talk to Samuel. So he said to him, you go back and lay down. And this time, if you hear that voice again, I want you to say, speak, Lord, thy servant listens. Speak, Lord, thy servant listens. So Samuel goes back. He lays down on his bed. You think he went to sleep? But he lay there wide-eyed. and All of a sudden, he hears that voice, Samuel. And listen to what he did. He said, speak, Lord, thy servant listens. And if you'll follow the rest of First and Second Samuel, you know what you find out? He learned how to communicate with God. They became dear friends. And now Samuel served the Lord. He served under David's care. I mean, under David's administration. But above the serving and all that stuff, and he was full-time Christian service, but he became the friend of God because he learned how to talk to God. Dear ones, here, here's the truth. It's not just about serving in the kingdom. It's about getting to know God personally so you can walk and talk with him, so you can have a relationship. He's pursuing relationship more than anything else. And that's, that's why young Samuel starts. Here. All right, let, me, let, me, let me help you. Let's bring this thing down to practicality. Let me help you a little bit here. Let me check, see what to say here. It starts by listening. Uh, if you have any desire, if you have any interest in God at all, let me tell you what the Bible says about that. He put that in you to draw you to himself. Now, if you say, I couldn't care less about God. I don't know anything about him. Well, then he's not speaking to you. But if you have any desire to know anything about him, he had to put that in there. Since Romans 3 says, nobody seeks God unless he draws them first. Jesus said in John 8, 44, 6, 44, nobody comes to me. Nobody's interested in me unless my father is drawing them. So if you have any interest in God, he's already talking to you. But now you don't hear him with this ear out here. He speaks, speak to my heart. And a good place to start is to get along with him once in a while. And, and don't, we've really messed up in the church teaching people. Number one, do this. Number two, do this. Number three, do that. Is that how you love your wife? No, you, he'll teach you. You know, but me and my wife, we're great kissers and great lovers and we, we care for each other deeply. We didn't read no book. We figured it out on our own. I promise you that. We learned. God is pursuing a relationship with you. Answer him. Take your Bible. Get alone. Open to the Gospels and just start reading about Jesus. And, and I always want to read my Bible. I always put my hand on it and say, Speak, Lord, thy servant listens. I'm not trying to learn something. I can almost quote the New Testament now. I want to hear his voice. I want him to speak to my heart through the word. And you, you just, like you would pursue a relationship with somebody that loves you. Let me tell you something. Nobody has ever loved anybody on this earth like God loves you right now. Nobody has ever. You've never seen a love story that touches his love for you right now. And uh, God desires to speak to his people. Love has to express itself. I love to talk to my children. A lot of times more than they want to hear it. But I love to talk to my children. And God is always pursuing people for relationship. Open your heart or your Bible and, and say, speak, Lord, thy servant listens. I'll be honest with you, a lot of times you can hear God better on the lake than you can in church sometimes. You know, a man sitting in church thinking about fishing, that's dead religion. A man sitting in his bass boat thinking about God, that's a living faith right there. We got to get out of this religious thing and say, I want to know you as my father. And then everything in life flows out of that. Once you keep, if you'll keep the first thing first, everything else will flow out of that. But listen to me, if you don't keep the first thing first, nothing else will work right. Seek ye first. If you don't keep the first thing first, nothing else will work right. If I quit talking to my wife, 
and I get cold toward her and I don't love her anymore, even though I still bring my check home and mow the grass, something's going to be out of line, Houston. It's about the relationship. It's about the living relationship above everything else. And that's why it's so important. You pursue it. Listen, you, you grow in that relationship. I, I don't want you to be a member of my church only. I don't want you to serve the Lord. I want you to reach a place in life where you can say, according to the scriptures, I am the friend of God. I am the friend of God. I want to show you what, let me, let me just quote to you one of the greatest truths ever spoken. In John 15, Jesus said this, no longer do I call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master is always doing. I have called you friends because everything the Father is speaking to me, I've told you. What do you hear right there? Jesus Christ wants people to be in friendship with him so he can tell them what the Father's doing and he can speak to them. Listen, we got to get, get we got to get this thing back in order that it's not just about getting something from God or serving God. It's about being the friend of God. We got to get first things first again. I'm going to quote to you a verse in closing. And it's one of those verses. You ever heard those verses where people quote them? And as soon as they start quoting them, you say, I know that. And you rattle it off. Don't do that. God always speaks his word fresh, even if you can quote it backwards. One of them is John 3, 16. You need to meditate John 3.16 slowly, a lot of times, because even though you can quote it forwards and backwards, God still speaks through it if you'll listen to it. But I'm going to quote one of those verses that when you start quoting it, everybody says, yeah, I know that. But I'm going to take you back after I quote it, and I'm going to point something out in this verse that I bet you don't know. And it's the verse of national revival. A lot of people are quoting it these days. It's 2 Chronicles 7.14, and it says this. If my people, not the news media, not the pornographers, not the entertainers. If my people who are called by my name will do four things, humble themselves, get off your high horse, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, quit worrying about what Hollywood's doing. Quit worrying about what Washington's doing. If my people would just repent. He said, if you'll do that, I'll do three things. I'll hear your prayer, forgive your sin, forgive the sin of the church. And then what'd he say? I'll heal your land. Healing this nation wouldn't be a stretch for him. And if the nation is not healed, it's not the pornographers. It's not the entertainment industry. It's God's people. By themselves, they could lead him to heal the nation. But here's one I'll point out in that verse right there. Uh, the Bible said, if my people are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray. And what's the third one? Seek my face. Seek my face. There's a big difference in seeking God's face and seeking his hand. A lot of people, and it's good to seek his hand. I have to. The Bible said the Lord opens his hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. By his hand, we all are fed. I need for him to open his hand in my life. I need for him to feed my family. I need his hand of protection on my family. Uh, I need God to put his hand on different things. I need the hand of God. And we're told to seek it. He said, ask. He said, your father knows the things you need before you ask. But you know, there's a big difference in seeking God's hand and seeking God's face. What does it mean to seek the face of God? It means to seek relationship with God. You know, if I call my wife and say, cook for me, clean for me, go get the whatever for me. We well, don't have to get, you don't have to go get the dry cleaning because people like me don't wear dry cleaning, but, but just do something for me. That's a big difference in saying to her, I want a relationship with you. I want to be in love with you. There was, we're told to seek God's face. And I don't know what the percentage is, but the large majority of what I see in church life today in America, and there's, again, there's nothing wrong with it. It is seeking the hand of God.
We want him to heal our bodies, and that's good. Meet our needs, that's good. Stop this crazy virus, that's good. All that's good, but you can do all that and never know the face of God. Never, never get to, never know him personally as a friend. Never come into relationship. That's why stuff is not working. Let me tell you something. Get to know the face of God. Enjoy him. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. What comes first? Enjoy God. Everything else will be there. Now, one of the reasons I didn't want anything to do with God as a young man is because church was so boring and the people were so mean, just to be honest with you. We're working on that. But can I just appeal to you, if you're not, maybe, you're, maybe this doesn't, maybe, can I just appeal to you with something? Richie mentioned the sunset that came up this morning. Guess who painted it? Look around you outdoors. Look at the sunset. Look at the beauty of the hues. Consider the glory of nature. Wouldn't you want to get to know the guy that made all that stuff? What do you think you'd be like if you could get to know the guy who made everything there? Look at the stars at night. The heavens declare the handiwork of God. Wonder what it'd be, be like to get to know the guy who made all that stuff. Push religion to the curb. Get to know the man who created everything in a personal relationship. And let me tell you, I'm going to say it again. Seek his face. Everything else will be there. Delight yourself in the Lord. You'll get the desires of your heart. I'll tell you a little story to help you understand this. And then I'm, it's time to quit because the three I've got here are getting tired. All righty. I forget the year. It was 1904, 1905. True story. Right at the turn of that century, there was a man, uh, a very, very wealthy industrialist. He owned businesses and he was married, loved his wife dearly. And he was a very good man. He was, he was a philanthropist. He supported different causes. Just a good man, loved his wife, but they couldn't have children. And he loved, he wanted children so desperately. Well, it turned out she got pregnant and he was, his over the moon. He was thrilled. He was so excited because finally he was going to get what he'd longed for. And uh, they were just so excited. She's pregnant. She's growing all that stuff. But as happened in that day, and I've seen this. When I was a country preacher, I saw this on tombstones a lot in my little country cemetery. She died in childbirth. Uh, if it had been today, she would have easily lived. But back then, a lot of women died in childbirth because they didn't have the medical care they have now. She dies in childbirth. His heart was broken, but he had a son, and he loved this son dearly. And the son uh, became the affection of his life. That became the focus of his life because he loved him. Plus, it was the one connection he had with his wife. So he hired a nursemaid to move into the estate there and take care of the son, and he ran his business, whatnot, and it was good. The little boy was five years old. He contracted disease and the doctors couldn't save him and he died. And the man's world collapsed and he grieved himself to death within a year. Less than a year later, he just grieved himself to death and lost everything. Well, they were going to auction off his estate and all this stuff. Day came for the auction and uh, it was well advertised. People came from all over to bid on the paintings, tapestries, all the, all the things he had there. He was a very wealthy man. All right, they start the auction and the auctioneer gets up onto his podium there and he begins the auction. And he said, first thing we're going to auction, after he gave the rules of the auction, he said, the first item, it was a little crude portrait, a, a picture. Because back then photography was very crude. You know, you threw the blanket over your head and plop and had a little crude picture of the sun. And he said, we're going to auction the picture of the sun off first. And he, and he said, so what am I bid for the sun? The picture of the sun. What am I bid for it? Well, <clears throat> nobody's interested because they didn't come to get some crude snapshot of the sun. They came to get the artwork and, the, and the, they came to get the guy's nice stuff. 
Nobody answered. And finally, from the back of the crowd, a voice said, 50 cents. It was the nursemaid who had come to the auction. Of course, she wasn't wealthy, hoping to get a little keepsake or something that she could remember the boy by. Well, this was, this was perfect for her. Nobody else wanted it. So she bid 50 cents. And uh, he said, anybody else? And, and you know how auctioneers do. They go on and on trying to drum up more money. They're bad about that stuff. Get, go and get some money. Well, nobody bid anything else. And frankly, the people were getting a little restless because they didn't, let's get this over with so we can get to the good stuff. So anyway, sold to the lady, 50 cents. She came up and got her picture and she was so thrilled. And then the auctioneer said, took his hammer and he hit the podium and he said, the auction's over. He said, I had specific instructions in the man's will. Auction my son's picture off first. Whoever wants the son, give him everything else I've got. He said, the whole estate goes to the lady who wanted the son, who wanted the picture of my son. God has got all kinds of stuff for us. He takes care of us. But the bottom line is, you just go after a relationship with his son, you'll get everything else he's got. But we've got to keep first things first and keep, oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me at the forefront of everything we do. So just listen to me. Don't let going to church, don't let trying to behave and do right, don't let being involved in, don't let any of that get in front of just knowing Jesus personally and loving him because he first loved you. Keep first things first. Everything else will be there because the God who hung the stars in space and created that sunset you saw this morning, he is pursuing a relationship with you personally and you were created to know him personally. Nothing else matters beyond that. Let's pray together. Let's talk to him. Dear Jesus, I, I just love you and praise you and thank you. I remember when I first met you, you were so real to me. And it was just like you just, I, I didn't think anything about you for all those years. I, 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 you, were, you were nothing to me for all those years. And then all of a sudden it was like you stepped straight down from heaven and you were so real to me. I, mean, I couldn't see you, but I felt you and you were there. And I so fell in love with you. And I remember just, you know, young man working in that gas station. I'd work all day, go home at night, couldn't wait to eat supper and go lock myself in that room and get out that little green Bible and sit there and just read. And you just, you were in the room and you just talked to me and, oh, it was so wonderful. And I, I just, life was so changed when you showed up. And then I remember getting called to preach and got caught up in the church stuff and the trying to keep the sheep from eating each other and all that stuff. And and I can remember when I reached the place to where that great relationship had gotten away and I was working for you, but like the elder brother, I wasn't coming in and talking to you much anymore. And I praise you and thank you for letting me reach a place to where nothing matters except knowing you personally and enjoying that relationship. All right, Lord Jesus, I want to pray for every person today, every person listening to me, everybody out there, they're on this planet for one reason. You created them so they could have a relationship with you. You don't need me to work for you. You got angels can do better than I can. And you're really not trying to get me to behave. Your spirit changes people's lives. You created me to know me personally and to be a father to me. I pray for every person that's listening to me that they will realign their lives and make sure that first things stay first that he will be a father to me and I will be a son or a daughter to him. 
and Jesus will always be first and then everything else will flow properly. I pray, Father, just this simple, simple truth would be open to people's hearts and they would know, I want to know God personally. Everything else will take care of itself. And do not let anything steal the greatest thing we have, which is a love relationship with the Savior of humanity. I trust you for that. Let Jesus be glorified. And I just pray we, we want to fulfill that great catechism that my chief aim is to glorify you by enjoying you forever. I pray every person will get to do that. Thank you that as soon as they turn aside, you speak. We'll give you all the praise and glory. Now, Father, I want to pray for everybody, all my little sheeps and sheepettes out there. Your spirit, your blessing, and that nothing has caught you off guard. And rather than press on and with our schedule, we will adjust our schedule to your schedule and just delight ourselves in the Lord and say, speak, Lord, speak to me in this unusual time. And I speak the blessing of the Lord on them. And now, Father, your word said, speak my blessing on the people and do it, say this to them and I will bless them. So Lord Jesus, here it is. You said to say it and I'm gonna say it. The Lord will bless you. The Lord will keep you. The Lord will smile on you and be gracious to you. The Lord will look favorably upon you and God will give you peace. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in this morning. I love you. Look forward to when we're back face to face again. God bless you.